1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologos. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. What a pleasure to be with you and with somebody that I have so much respect for, Ray Lance, who does a lot of good in our community, especially when it comes to protecting what you have worked so hard for all of your lives. And uh, that's your money, your property. Ray, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Money Wise, brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. We're always happy to be with you. We know a lot of people listen, and we hear stories all the time of somebody who's uh, listening to the show. I think we have at least 10 people out there listening today, Oh, I think a few more than that. But today we're going to be talking, ladies and gentlemen, about something that's uh, near and dear to many of your hearts, which is what happens if you should pass away, if you die, and you haven't done any kind of estate planning, you haven't done any kind of a will, a trust, or anything else. Well, the good news, ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to report is that if you're in that position, you haven't done a will, you haven't done a trust, that's okay. We don't mind that at all because the government has a plan for you. So if you're comfortable with the government's plan, you don't have to do anything at all. The government will take care of it and tell you and your family exactly how your assets are going to go. No, thanks. But we don't talk about politics on this show, do we, Phil? Never. We leave that to Uncle Phil and his controversial guests to talk oh, about him. politics. Uh, that guy? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk about politics someday, but I don't think that I should. But in any event, welcome to Attorney Michael Coleman. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good to be here. Thank you. And welcome to... This little person sitting next to me, attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, Tenny. Good morning, everyone. And I would be remiss if I didn't give out one of my famous quotations from Henny Youngman. My wife dresses to kill. She cooks the same way. <laughs> so, that's me. That's you, Tenny. <laughs> Actually, when I was looking through some Henny Youngman quotes, I saw that, and I said, I have to start out with that quotation, Tenny. So I might not get anything to eat tonight, ladies and gentlemen. No, I have quiet practice. You may be on your own. But uh, who knows? That might be a blessing. (laughs) Probably right. Well, anyway, welcome. And uh, uh, you're looking pretty good today. You're looking nice with your striped shirt and your blue sweater, and you look kind of cool. You look like you're... About 15 today. Hey, that's very nice of you. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't she look good today, Phil? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You do. You have a, you look good all all the time, but you do have something really cool about you today. Yeah, it's sort of like a. It's called almost springtime. Yeah, you're right. The weather is wonderful. Wow, the warmth that we've had. Oh, it's been wonderful. Incredible. Well, today we're going to talk about intestacy and guardianship and probate court and what happens in probate court it's still a a big mystery people say well the estate has to be probated well what does it mean when you say your estate has to get probated first of all it's something you want to try to avoid if at all possible and i know uh, tenny and mike you are going to be talking about this at some seminars that you have coming up right Yes, we are. We have a few coming up in in March, actually, three of them. 
Uh, two of them are on Wednesday, uh, March 15th. That's at our office at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. And that's one of them is at 2 o'clock. That's the Ides of March, by the way. Okay. That's right. Yep. So beware the Ides of March, <laughs> is what Julius Caesar said. Or somebody said that to Julius Caesar, Julius, didn't they? Yes. The second of those seminars is at 6.30 at night, again on the uh, 15th of March at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. And then finally, we have one on Saturday, March 18th at 10 a.m., again at our office at 352 Fonts Corner Road. So if you'd like to sign up for any of these seminars, give us a call at 508-998-8800. You can also find us online at lancelawinc.com. And so that's the 15th of March and the 18th of March. So I guess in the middle is the 17th of March, which is St. Patrick's Day. And the 16th. Oh, that's true, the 16th that comes <laughs> in the middle. Say, so, now, ladies and gentlemen, there's a real technician for you. <laughs> He's aware that in between the 15th and the 18th, it's not just the 17th, but also the 16th. So, well, I was more interested in the 17th because that's St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, We're so. hoping that people will be okay by Saturday at 10 a.m., after St. Patrick's Day on Friday night. <laughs> well, let's. T- I'm, I'm gone all that week. <laughs> Are you, Phil? Is yeah. that when you're in, in uh, Florida? Fort, Fort Myers. Oh, oh good. That's, that's the new, week. That's, that's the, New Bedford Days or whatever it's called? The 14th of March, a Tuesday, is uh, New Bedford Day. Oh, nice. wonderful. Well, we'll have to call you while you're down there and send you some blessings. There you go. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so let's talk about probate so why is it called probate first is is there a special court called probate court there is um it is part of the family court um part of every county has a probate court and the probate process involves uh having the court supervise somebody on behalf of either a deceased person or what the court now calls a protected person, somebody with some kind of incapacity. But let's talk about the probate court in general. And What kinds of things does the probate court do compared to district court or superior court? I mean, they do more than just wills and so forth. They do a lot of different kinds of things, don't they? They are involved in divorces, family law. All right, so if you want to get divorced, you have to do that in probate court. Right. Okay. And uh, if you need a guardian or a conservator, that happens in probate court, and that's called living probate. Don't they do do adoptions also in probate court? Yes. Yep, that's all part of the family court process. So that's, in fact, isn't it called the probate and family court or something like that? It is, yes. Exactly. So they deal with family issues, and the family issues are divorces, which is not pleasant. Um, Adoptions, I'm sure, must be a really nice thing when you see an adoption in probate court. Um, I've never seen an adoption in probate court. Have you, Tenny or Mike? Not live, no. No. I have not, no. I bet that would be fun to watch, though, wouldn't it? Yep. I have been to probate court before where um, people haven't been adopted, but... Maybe a grandmother or a a relative is taking over the care of a child because Mm -hmm. someone else couldn't take care of them. So that that does happen. I wonder if you could disinherit your children in probate court. Probably not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about that, but there are some species that eat their children. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Phil. (laughs) That was a a very worthwhile addition to this show, I think. (laughs) 
I'm sure there are times when all of us have had that desire. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that threw me completely off track. <laughs> well, let's come back to the other thing. So the, the family court side, um, I guess the probate and family court, the other important thing they do then is uh, conservatorship or conservatorship, um, guardianship, and then handling wills or intestacy. So they handle the disposition of your property if you haven't done estate planning or certain kinds of estate planning. So let's talk real simply about wills. Um, I know you've had some statistical information before, Tenny, about only a very small percentage of our population has ever even done a will. Is that correct? Well, um, the statistics that we have seen is that two-thirds of Americans have never made any plan for their estate. Two-thirds. It's absolutely amazing. So they get the government plan then? They do. They, they get whatever is in the state law for the disposition of their assets. So let's talk about when somebody dies and they have assets and they have bank accounts or vehicles or real estate or anything of that nature in their own name. If they haven't done something like put it into a trust, for example, then it's going to end up in probate court, right? In order for the ownership of a an asset of whatever type to change to somebody else. And uh, if you have not done a trust, then yes, you will end up in probate court. So and if you haven't done a will and you haven't done a trust, you've done nothing at all, your family still has to go through probate court. Is that correct? Yes, um, because somebody needs to take title to those things. So, yes, you will end up at the court for one reason or another if you've done a will or if you haven't done a will. So that's really an interesting point. So whether you've done a will or haven't done a will, if you have assets that are in your name alone and you die, your family is going to end up in probate court. That's right, which is why we always suggest to people that they consider something called a living trust. But that's not our subject today, so if we want to stick to probate, there are really two kinds of probates. There's a probate for when you're alive called living probate and a probate for after you're deceased, and that's death probate. And there are subsets of both of those. So when you say, well, you have to go through probate, it's really just a shorthand version of saying your family, your assets are going to have to take the time to file papers and go through the probate court system. Right. So my colleague does it take to go through uh, probate court? If you have somebody who dies, let's say that they've done a will or haven't done a will, how long does it take typically in Massachusetts? It can take, uh, it can take a few months or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, it takes more than a year because creditors have a year to make a claim in an estate. And again, it, it depends on the assets that are being probated, how complicated it is, if mm-hmm. anyone makes a, an objection in the probate court. So it can take a long time. It can be costly, okay. too. So we're, we're talking with attorney Michael Coleman and attorney Tenny Lance, and you're both with Lance Law, Inc. on Fonts Corner Road. And I know that your office handles the probating of estates, which is really, I guess, the term that we're using today. And the first problem with the probate court is that it can take a long time. And the problem is not with the court itself, is it, Tenny? It's just the fact that, as Mike said, a creditor can have 
as much as a year to file a claim against the estate. Yes. Most people who are um, serving as what's now called personal representative, used to be called executor, don't want to close out a state if they think that there's a possibility of a claim until a year's up because they become personally responsible if there is a claim. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, Attorney Tenny Lance and myself, we've been married for quite a few years. And as I was getting ready about this show, uh, for the, to put the show together, I was thinking, what could I say that would be really nice about having a long marriage? And I found the perfect quotation from Henny Youngman. He said, some people ask the secret of our long marriage. We take time to go to a restaurant two times a week, a little candlelight, dinner, soft music and dancing. She goes Tuesdays, I go Fridays. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, with my cooking, if it were up to you, we'd go seven nights. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd toss that in for a little levity. <laughs> but in any event, um, so the probate system itself, in order to protect the rights of creditors, there's really nothing wrong with the system. It's just that creditors may not find out that somebody has died for a long time, so they can have up to a year to file a claim against the estate. And so I guess that what that really means, Mike, is that you can't close the estate for a year then. Right. You, you would want to keep some money in the estate. So, if, for instance, if it's a bank account that's being probated, you want to keep some money in that account so that if someone comes along and makes a claim that you have money in that, you're left over for that creditor. All right. So you can make partial distributions out of an, est- an estate, a probate estate, but you would want to keep something in that estate in case someone comes along later on. All right. And, Tenny, what about filing taxes? Or, like, somebody dies and their estate goes through probate, I guess they would still have to file an income tax return for the year that they died in, right? They do. Actually, they should file two returns, one for the part of the year when that person was alive and another one for the part of the year when the uh, estate was uh, handling the assets. Okay. And then what about estate tax returns? I guess not every estate in Massachusetts has to file an estate tax return. How does that work? That's true because if you don't own things, a combination of whatever you own, if that is less than a million dollars, then you don't have to worry about the estate tax in Massachusetts. All right, but that brings up another interesting question, I think. What if you have real estate and you die with real estate in your name? So that real estate, the title to the real estate, I guess, can't be passed on to somebody else, first of all, unless you file for probate. Is that correct? If it's in a single name, that's right. That piece of real estate cannot be handled at all until the court issues what's called letters of authority. And then actually most title attorneys now are looking for licenses to sell. So it gets to be a complicated process. Okay, so let's sort of take this step by step. Somebody dies, um, their family comes in and says, my mother had a house that was in just her name. She didn't ever do a will or a trust or anything else. What's the first piece of paper that you have to file? What's it called? Uh, Well, it is called a petition for administration. And Mike has some information about what's called intestacy that he can talk about. Sure, I can talk about intestacy a little bit. Um, Basically, if someone 
passes away without a will or without any estate planning documents, they will have died intestate. So they haven't made a plan. So that's when the Commonwealth of Massachusetts comes in and they have a plan for you. There's a statute that sets forth where assets will go. And it's not always, of course, where the person who passed away would want them to go. So if you were an individual, you died, and you had a husband, but you had property in just your name. Let's say it was a woman who died. She's got a husband, but for some reason the house was in just her name, and she has got children as well. I guess it's possible that both the husband and the children could each end up with some percentage of the house then. It's possible. It depends on whether or not the children were um, also descendants of the decedent. So, in other words, if there was a prior marriage and they had kids, you know, outside of the current marriage mm -hmm. and there were other children, uh, then those other children may be entitled to get a portion of the estate. If the kids were all of the same marriage, then the husband would get everything. Basically. Okay. But it sounds pretty complicated, doesn't it? It is complicated, and it's, like I said before, it's not always what the person who passed away would want. So that's mm. a reason to make an estate plan. And I guess if you didn't have children and you didn't have a spouse, it, it might go to parents or it might go to siblings. It would go to parents first and then down to descendants of parents. Mm -hmm. So it goes to siblings and then nieces and nephews. And, you know, depending on how many siblings you have or nieces and nephews you have, you might have many, many people with an interest in a bank account or a piece of real estate, and that can make it even more complicated. And that means it could take a long time to sell that house and get rid of that house as well. Exactly, because everyone would have to agree to do it. In the meantime, you might have an empty house, and you might not be able to get insurance for the house if the insurance company finds out that the house is empty because they don't like to insure houses that aren't occupied. And so you might have a, an asset that could you know, be in danger because you can't have insurance on it. So right. many, many issues, more than what people think, I, I guess, about what happens if you die and you haven't done a will or anything else. Right. I think one of the most frustrating points of probate for most people is that they can't do anything with that asset that's being probated. So, for instance, we have a, a probate right now where there's a, a large amount of money in a, in a bank account, and... Unfortunately, the woman passed away without having done anything with that account. She didn't put it into a trust or do anything else with it. She mm -hmm. didn't have anyone else on the account. So now uh, her husband is waiting around for letters from the probate court just so he can go in and get that money. All right, so let's take a situation like that. So a petition for administration is filed, and you do a petition for administration because there's no will. Um, Tenny, is it called something different if there's a will? Is it called a petition for probate then, maybe? Correct. Okay. That's right. And um, what Mike was talking about is, is interesting because most people think that if they own something in two names, joint assets, then they are protected because certainly one of them will remain, and that will avoid the probate process. But nobody thinks about what happens when the second person dies. Um, in the case that Mike was talking about, this lady um, happened not to put her husband on as a joint tenant. Uh, but if she had, and if something happened to them mutually, she'd be in the same boat. So having joint tenancy is really not the solution. 
It might help when the first person dies, but it doesn't help when the second person dies. Is right, what you're particularly saying? if the second person becomes incapacitated some way, or dies in a in a joint accident, whatever. It's it's just a disaster. Well, again, the rules are interesting. The rules are complicated. So the rules of intestacy, Mike, if that means somebody has died without a will, they haven't done a trust, they haven't done anything, mm-hmm. that's the government's rules. Right, and The exactly. government lays out a chart and a system for how your assets go. So, again, if you want the government to make the decisions about where your assets are going to go, that will happen. It will happen. Yeah, don't uh, do you, anything just and you'll don't be do sure anything. to, <laughs> just don't do anything. to <laughs> have a government plan. Right. But if you want more information or if you want some help, then, of course, a strong recommendation is to go to one of your seminars because then people can learn about the differences between wills and trusts and protecting the home from nursing homes and all those kinds of things. So, Tenny, why don't you give us the dates and times again for when you're going to be doing these seminars? The workshops are going to be on two dates in March. The first one is March 15th. And we have an afternoon seminar and an evening seminar for people who might have work obligations at one of the other times. The afternoon is at 2, and the evening one is at 6.30. And then we have a Saturday morning seminar at 10 o'clock on March 18th. You know, I was just thinking that these seminars are going to be just before baseball season starts. Seems like we've just gotten over football season, but baseball spring training is going on in full steam right now. Phil, maybe when you're in Florida, you'll have a chance to see a spring training game. Yeah, I was asked if I wanted to go to one. Oh, definitely so, do it. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, JetBlue's gorgeous. And, in fact, yesterday on WBSM, we started our first spring game with Minnesota and the Sox. So it's already on the radio. Oh, nice. Well, you know, one of my favorite baseball players uh, in the past has been Yogi Berra. And he had some wonderful things to say about baseball. He said, baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. <laughs> he didn't do math very well either. <laughs> and one of, my other, one of my other favorites was um, from Yogi Berra. He hits from both sides of the plate. He's amphibious. <laughs> we should give that one to Brian to use. <laughs> But I didn't realize that Pedro Martinez is a pitching coach for the Red Sox. I just heard that on the radio this I morning. didn't know that myself. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Boy, that's going to be – I think that will be helpful. Yeah. He said he thinks of pitching like um, attacking in the jungle. He's, the, he's this jungle animal, and he's out to attack everybody. Hmm. And that's the attitude you have to have. I thought that was funny. Well, we'll come back and talk about something more pleasant like funerals. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking about intestacy, and even Yogi Berra had something interesting to say about funerals. He said, you should always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was amazing with the things that came out of his mouth. I wonder, did, I know a lot of these things were just naturally things that came out of his mouth, but I think he must have made it a game after that, I suspect. Because oh, yeah. nobody would say that many unusual things after a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very clever man, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Very, very uh, intelligent. He, he really had a, a, a knack of communicating that appealed to so many people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I can think of a few politicians that sound like Yogi Berra. <laughs> but we won't go there today. 
That's the second time he said that, Tenny. <laughs> I promise we won't talk about no politics. politics. <laughs> no, but do, do take a moment to think about going to one of the seminars that Tenny and Mike will be doing on March 15th and March 18th. And give them a call at 508-998-8800 and, and make your own reservation. And we like to call them workshops because they really are a place where... Uh, we interact with folks who come. It's it's not like going to a uh, strenuous class. It's more interesting. It's more fun. Uh, and I think people learn a lot. And you pass out some materials that people can bring with them also, right? Bring home, yes. Uh-huh. Well, hopefully you're going to be doing something to help celebrate St. Patrick's Day, which is in the middle on the 17th of March. <laughs> We, we always have a nice little treat for people to bring home, yes. Okay. And all of these are free of charge. They're okay. complimentary also. Complimentary and free. Do you know what complimentary <laughs> means? It means you don't pay anything to go there, but you have to give a compliment to the speaker. Oh, I like that. Right, Tenny? <laughs> sure. Well, we're going to come back in just a moment and continue talking about what happens in probate court and what happens if somebody becomes incapacitated and you haven't done documents and you may have to think about guardianship or conservatorship? We're going to talk about a little, a little bit about that subject right after a short break. So please stay tuned. We will be right back with Attorney Michael Coleman and Attorney Tenny Lance. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Money Wise, brought to you Every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group, we're so happy to have you with us and glad that you listen. Our mission at USA Wealth Group is to show you how to protect your family, which is really what we're talking about today, and how to protect your money. And so let's come back to the subject of probate and talk about going through probate for an estate where there is no will or there is a will, and you have to go through the probate court system. And we've mentioned during the first half hour, uh, Mike and Tenny, we talked about the fact that it can take a long time. It can take as long as 12 months for that estate to be open. What about the cost? Is it more expensive to go through probate to handle your assets than it might be to go through uh, trust administration, for example, if you did a trust? I think it depends on how complicated the probate is. It can be very expensive. You have to um, pay to file the documents in the court. You have to pay an attorney to prepare the documents. You have to post a notice in a newspaper, which can be costly. The standard times is $400 almost just to um, put that notice in the paper. You have to notify all the heirs. So it, it can be costly, and as you said, it's time-consuming, and it can be avoided is the point if you do the right things. So we actually started at, during the first half hour to talk about what are the step-by-step -step processes of going through probate? And the first step is you have to file a petition of some kind. You have to file a petition. You have to file a bond. You have to actually file an order for the court to sign. You, you make the order, and the court signs off on that order. Um, if the heirs are assenting to appointment of a personal representative, you also have to file the assents and the nominations with the court. So that's more than just one piece of paper that yes. gets filed. No but when you file the main petition, there's a filing fee that goes with that as well. Right. And is it customary for individuals to do all this paperwork by themselves? I would hope not, <laughs> because it's not easy. And it, it, the probate court is very particular. Um, for instance, if you file a bond, you can't leave anything blank on that bond. If there's no real estate in the bond, you have to put a zero. 
You can't just leave that blank, and if you leave it blank, they might send the paperwork back to you. So it's little things like that that, you know... Sounds like pettifoggery. (laughs) Pettifoggery was a term used in Charles Dickens' Uh, one of Charles Dickens' novels, uh, when he wrote about lawyers, he wrote a lot of nasty things about lawyers, and there was a lawyer called uh, Pettifogger. And um, so the term has become Pettifoggery, you know, obsessive attention to tiny, minute little details that don't really mean a lot, like putting a zero on a form instead of leaving it blank. Right. But in the court's defense, they are looking out for the heirs. Okay. And they want to be sure that whatever they do is correct and accurate and doesn't come back to haunt them. So uh, attorney Mike Coleman, attorney Tenny Lance, again, coming back to this step-by-step process, you file a petition, you pay a fee, it gets filed with the court along with maybe a bond. Right. What is the bond? What is it? The bond basically says that it, the, the personal representative, if they act negligently or if they do anything um, bad, then they're going to be responsible for what's going on in the probate court. So you can sign your own name on the bond and say, I promise I'm going to do a good job. Right, exactly. Does anybody have to guarantee that you're going to do a good job and sign on to that bond? No, they don't have to. It can happen that way. A lot of times in the will it will say that there don't have to be any what are called sureties on the bond. Okay. But I guess if you haven't done a will and you didn't put that language in the will that says, I don't have to have any guarantors on my bond, then maybe the court might say you have to have somebody else guarantee your right. performance. It could happen that way, yes. And you might sign. So that means now you've got to find some people who say, I'm going to guarantee that this person is going to do a proper job, and I'm going to be responsible if they don't do a proper job. Right. And at the beginning of a probate process, you have to determine what type of probate you're going to be involved with. There are now under the Uniform Probate Code three different kinds of probates, death probates. One is called a voluntary, and that means that you're dealing with assets of less than Mm $25,000. But then there is an informal or a formal probate. The informal is administered through a magistrate. The formal is administered by a judge. Okay. So it depends upon what level of detail you need to get into with the court. I did not know that. That's interesting. So there's three different kinds of death probate then. Mm-hmm. Well, this gets even more complicated then, doesn't it? Right. Now, well, what happens if somebody has to put up a bond and they sign the bond, but they need guarantors and they can't find guarantors? Do they have to buy a bond from an insurance company then? Yes, and it's expensive. Um, And there are only a few companies that that, um, issue the bonds under that kind of circumstance, and it is expensive. Hmm. And so there really are more than three kinds of probate because there's also intestacy. So you're dealing with four types of death probate. Okay. Four calling birds, three (laughs) French hens. (laughs) Well, the more questions I ask, the more complicated this seems to be. So I guess the moral of the story is that you ought to do some kind of planning. If you have a small estate, you ought to, at a minimum, have a will. And then if you do a will, do you have related documents besides the will? Absolutely. The other kind of probate called living probate can be avoided if you have other kinds of documents called durable power of attorney for property and health care powers of attorney. I have to inject one more in my last quotation from Yogi Berra. 
when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> I've heard you do that before. All Have of them are funny before? no matter how many times yeah. you hear them. Well, he had some great stuff. Well, <laughs> stand by because I've got some great quotes from Tom Brady. They're not humorous, but they're interesting. Okay. See, I want to be relevant on this show. So we're talking with attorney Michael Coleman and attorney Tenny Lance from Lance Law. And on March 15th and March 18th, they're going to be doing some uh, public workshops. They are going to be at Lance Law's office on 352 Fonts Corner Road, Wednesday, March 15th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 6.30 in the evening, and Saturday, March 18th um, at 10 o'clock in the morning. If you'd like to attend, give them a call at 508-998-8800, or you can also register online at lancelawinc.com. So take advantage of the opportunity to find out how to get your questions answered on probate, trust, Medicaid protection. Are there other kinds of things you're going to be talking about during that uh, those workshops, Tenny? Well, primarily those are the subject matters. Um, we like to have people understand what the difference is between a will and a trust and what happens upon death in those alternate circumstances. And people more and more are interested in a continuum of planning, which probably involves asset protection uh, toward the end of life when people worry a lot about nursing homes. And I know that if somebody's not able to attend the seminar, maybe they're going to be away on vacation that week or something, you also have a series of reports that somebody could call for if they want to. Yes, we have several. Um, one is called Why Create a, an Estate Plan, The Nightmare of Living Probate, or Probate a Process, Not a Problem, although we do think that in general it's a problem. But, um, yes, we have various kinds of things that we could send out to you, bits of information that might be helpful to you. We do plan on doing these workshops on a fairly regular basis once a month or so because people do find them interesting. Um, not many people fall asleep while we're talking in these workshops, and um, they, are, they are pretty interesting. Well, I suspect a lot of people listening today have experienced firsthand a family member that has had to go through probate because the parents didn't do the planning, for example. Or you run into another problem where you've got uh, older parents that you know haven't done planning. You're trying to get them in to do the, the kind of planning that they should do. So you might want to bring your parents to uh, one of these workshops, for example. So here's what we've said so far, ladies and gentlemen. We have said that probate takes a long time in Massachusetts, whether you have a will or whether you don't have a will. We've said that it can be quite costly and obviously inconvenient. Um, you can tie up property for a while and not be able to sell it. You might miss a real estate market. If you want to sell a house, I guess sometimes you have to get something called a license to sell, don't you, Tenny? Yes, the title attorneys are getting very uh, concerned about title ever since the fall of 2008. Um, and so generally, if you've got real estate that is in a probate process, they want to see from the court something called a license to sell. And I think there's one other problem that people sometimes don't think about, and that is, isn't the probate court a public process, and aren't the probate court records, for the most part, 
public records that anyone can look at. I don't think you can look at somebody's adoption records. I think those are sealed in private. But I think you've got a right to go into court, don't you, and look at somebody's will and get a copy if you want? Yes, it's it's totally public. Uh, you just have to look up a name on an index, and then you can have the file brought to you. You can look up what the inventory is, what they owned, uh, what the um, assets are, and where they're going to. But the other part of probate that I always find sort of demeaning is the public process that happens in the courtroom at hearings. Um, and that particularly happens with guardianships and conservatorships because everything that's said about somebody who might be incapacitated is available for all to hear. It's let very come, demeaning. Let me come back to that in one quick second. I want to ask just one more question about wills. My recollection is that at one point in time, you actually wrote to the probate court and you got a copy of Jackie Onassis's will. Remember that? Because her will is a public document and so are hmm. many, many other public figures. Well, so, we, we do have this interesting slideshow that runs prior to the workshop about famous estates because, as you say, they're all available for people to know about. Mm. And these famous estates talk about famous people who did poor planning in general. Oh, put mine and, up there, please. <laughs> and, and the alternative... Put the Whitlow Mansion on there, please. <laughs> But the option, the alternative, is to perhaps consider doing a trust instead of a will because that does not become a public document, correct? That's right. Um, at our last workshop, there was a man in the back row who was listening very attentively. And at the end, he said, why would anyone do a will when they could do a trust? And I wanted to have him record that on my behalf. I mean, I, we truly believe that. Why would you not do a trust? I can tell you a better story than that. It was uh, one of the lawyers from the American Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys uh, got up once and told a story. He was doing a workshop, and right in the middle of the workshop, a lady keeled over and fainted and fell on the floor. And all he's thinking is, damn, she's ruined my seminar. What do I do next? And he had a microphone on his tie, and as he bent over to help the lady, you know, because he had to do something, she said, oh, I know I should have done my estate plan before now. <laughs> And he said, everybody signed up for an appointment. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? Our listeners, they should come to you now. Why not? Because they have to pay the government. One way or another, the folks have to shell out the, the dollars. And they might as well get a tailored suit rather than just get one that is one size fits all. Well, right? that's that's exactly what we tell people. If you do a will, that's fine, but there's going to be probate, and probate is expensive. Yeah. If you do a trust, it's the same cost virtually, and you don't have to go through any court process, and there is much less expense involved. And how about uh, if I pass away, am I going to now... Have Celeste or the family incur the costs of probate? I mean, that's another burden, right? Oh, absolutely. No, it's definitely more expensive to do uh, a will going through probate than it is to do a trust when you don't have to go through probate. Also, a lot of people think that they can put instructions for their burial and their funeral instructions in their will. Do you suggest that, Tenny? No. Um, no, the, the burial instructions need to be separate. 
uh, because the court has not appointed the personal representative yet. So unless you want to wait to be buried for several months, then you better do those separately. So we don't have a long time left. Let's talk about the other important thing that you do and the probate courts do, uh, both Tenney and Mike, uh, two very capable attorneys. Let's talk about guardianships and conservatorships. What what does that mean what, when you have to go through a guardianship or conservatorship, and why do you have to do that? Um, if anyone becomes incapacitated, if they have a stroke, if they uh, become unconscious for some other reason, if they're hit or hurt in an accident and they cannot make any kind of decisions for themselves, somebody has to take care of them. And that's what the probate court does with something called living probate. And you call that person that you have to bring a guardianship for or conservatorship for, they're now called a protected person? That's correct. But you said something interesting a couple of minutes ago. You said that one of the difficult things is if somebody is mentally incapacitated, they're senile, they have Alzheimer's, you have to go into court and publicly state that this person is incompetent. Well, there is a process of being appointed either guardian or conservator conservator of a protected person. And that process involves a hearing at the court. And the hearing is uh, public. It's in front of the judge and the clerk and all the other people that are in that court that day for divorces and all kinds of other things. You have to have with you a medical certificate that has been done by a doctor. And believe me, this medical certificate is lengthy and difficult for doctors to do. All of this process is very cumbersome, and it's humiliating, and it's costly. So, Attorney Mike Coleman, how can you avoid conservatorship? What kind of documents could somebody sign that would mean they wouldn't have to go through a conservatorship or guardianship? Well, Tenny mentioned this before. You could do powers of attorney. So for the conservatorship or the guardianship, you would do a a durable power of attorney for the conservatorship and then a a health care power of attorney for a guardianship Mm -hmm. where you name agents to make decisions on your behalf if something should happen to you. So with these documents in place, uh, the agent could use them to either pay bills or, or manage property or talk to doctors if they need to. And if you don't do something like a durable power of attorney or a power of attorney and health care documents, um, just as important as doing you know, trusts and wills and other kinds of documents, then you can really have some problems for a person. I know, Tenny, you've had some experiences in the past when you've asked somebody to go to a doctor and get a doctor's certificate that they had enough mental capacity to be able to sign legal documents. Well, that's fine if the doctor is willing to do that, but if the doctor's not comfortable doing that, then your alternative is to go into probate court, isn't it? It is, um, and that's one thing that the probate court, or, or I should say the laws of Massachusetts, did back in 2009 when the legislature passed the Uniform Probate Code, and uh, it it made people protected persons so that the uh, individual is is more protected than they were previously. It used to be that um, you could sort of uh, run into court and be appointed guardian, or, uh, and and the positions were joined, guardian and conservator, and take over somebody almost willy nilly in the court system. But now. 
somebody who is being protected is called a protected person. But the medical certificate that has to go along with a guardianship or a conservatorship is very, very long. It's seven pages long. It asks intimate questions of the doctor about health plans and whether this person is likely to get better or not. Most doctors don't like to make predictions. They don't even like to, to make analyses. So these are very hard to get a doctor to fill out. So the way to avoid that is fairly simple. Make sure you have proper documents in place, including powers of attorney. Make sure you get proper information. Um, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. I want to thank attorney Michael Coleman, and I want to thank attorney Tenny Lance. And um, But I want to ask you to remind about this as well. Well, we would love to see you at our workshops because we do talk about all of these things. And uh, the workshops are on March 15th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and 6.30 in the evening, and then one on Saturday morning, March 18th at 10 a.m. They're in our office. We have a nice large conference room where we have um, some slides set up to look at and to learn from. Um, we welcome you with coffee and pastries and hope that you are learning something and enjoying the process. And St. Patrick's Day uh, treats. And St. Patrick's Day treats. Irish soda bread, maybe? We could do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. We usually get Dorothy Cox chocolates. Oh, Guinness? Hot cross buns. Guinness? Guinness? Speaking of Guinness, you were saying don't put your funeral plans in your will, right? Because you'd be a ghost by the time they got to it. It's too late. <laughs> so I asked this question on the air, and I'll ask both of you because you have the expertise. If I have two or three ghosts in my home, and some that are young ghosts, can I claim them as dependents on my uh, tax form? For most people, no. <laughs> but for me? For you, yes. yes. <laughs> you do believe in ghosts, Phil? Well, why not? <laughs> I, you know, we lived in an older house on Gulf Road in Dartmouth uh, once. Yeah. In fact, and the cellar door kept closing, and we weren't there. I mean, we were, we were in the house, but yeah. we weren't at the door. Yeah. You well, know, our own Tim Weisberg, <laughs> all right, our afternoon sure. news anchor, who is nationally uh, revered as somebody who knows the paralegal, when he goes into the house in Fall River. Do you mean the paranormal? Uh, paranormal. <laughs> when he goes into Fall River, right, uh, he says his batteries are always drained right after he gets them charged, you know. And so he says that he could claim that off of his, you know, as, as an expense, right? He Absolutely. Says it, it costs about 50 bucks a, a, a year. He needs a good tax accountant. And he an says opinion. it's the ghosts who, uh, who, take, who deplete the batteries. <laughs> Lizzie well, Borden? Lizzie Borden. Charge her. If you can deduct the medical cost of uh, female enhancement, which people have done successfully. All right. Um, why not be able to deduct the aura that you carry along with you? Right. I mean, they're dependents, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> I, I have a friend who says that she can look at a person and she can see the aura. Oh, yeah. That's there around are them. people, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We don't want to have an aura follow you into probate court, <laughs> however. 
Please. But I have to give you a, a real serious quotation. You know, at the uh, at the law firm, uh, Mike and Tenny, um, you've got a good team of people, and it's all about team planning. So here's a quotation from Tom Brady, who needs no introduction. To me, football is so much about mental toughness. It's digging deep. It's doing whatever you need to do to help a team win, and that comes in a lot of shapes and forms. So I think that's a, an appropriate quotation for what you folks do at the law firm because you look out for the whole family's interest and you help them. And we uh, do it as a team. Yeah, one more quote from Tom Brady. The true competitors, though, are the ones who always play to win. And, boy, that embodies him, doesn't it? And we play to protect. I like that. I like that. That's a good quotation. Yes. See, write that one down before somebody else steals it. Well, we, we do appreciate all the valuable information about probate, what it is, what it isn't. We've learned today the probate court does things besides just divorces and wills and guardianships. They also do adoptions, and they do some pleasant things as well. And um, I, I do appreciate your expertise and your knowledge, and I hope the folks listening today will take advantage of coming to one of the workshops you're doing on March 15th or March 18th. Give them a call, folks, 508-998-8800. They'll make a reservation for you, and you're going to learn something. And um, one last quotation from Henny Youngman. If at first you don't succeed... So much for skydiving. So we don't want you to skydive through life. We don't want you to skydive through passing away. We want you to be prepared. And the way and to get prepared is, right. is to learn something. That's right. So thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of our team. And we welcome you to our office anytime. Lots of great reports. And stay tuned next week. We've always got something interesting to tell you about how to protect your family and how to protect your money. So long. <laughs>